Okay, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, na'hamaduhu nusalli ala rasulihi al-kareem, amma ba'd. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala, we seek blessings on the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And this begins our first episode of the Loyola MSA podcast. And here in our, our uh, in this podcast we have Sage, or as I like to call him, Mr. Sage, and uh, Mr. Sage, I'm putting you right on the spot. Uh, tell us one or two or three interesting details about yourself. Um, I chose the you name Sage. You should begin Sage. with salam. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to salam um, I chose the name Sage because Sage smells really good. And um, sometimes I burn it in my house. And it's also an adjective... And a noun that means wise. Mashallah. So uh, it's it's an aspirational code name. Good. Yeah. And and just for the record, you burn sage, you do not burn tajweed. Anyway. Uh, yes. Yes. Onto, onto no, I burn sage in a bong. <laughs> and I inhale the smoke. Okay. Already, this this podcast has gone off the rails. We also have to my left. We have Shisha. Shisha, please tell us about yourself. See if you can keep a straight face as you're telling us about yourself. Tell us one or two or three interesting things. Or not. Assalamu <laughs> <laughs> alaikum. Okay, very good, inshallah. Okay, and I forgot, what is your, your, your name? Violet. Violet, okay, Violet. Mashallah, please tell us one or two or three interesting things about yourself. Um... I have, I have an identical twin who goes to a better university than this. <laughs> SubhanAllah. Okay, yeah, keep and on. I chose the name Violet because I have a great aunt named Violet. And also Violet's my favorite color. And I love the Violet candies. Okay, very nice. And you, you ready, Shisha? Yeah. Okay. Um, few interesting things about me. Well, the first one is that I'm the only child, and a lot of people think that it's a blessing, which is true, because you get all the attention and, you know, um, you get whatever you want, but sometimes you end up getting way too much attention, and that can be kind of negative. Mm. Um, I am someone who likes breaking rules or the conventional norms which is maybe why i picked the name shisha because you guys probably know what it means well uh why don't you tell us what shisha means <laughs> also shisha is the conventional norm okay i appreciate these moments of pause where you say <laughs> something like you dropped a microphone can you please explain <laughs> what does this mean like everyone does shisha alila Okay. Oh, this is not what shisha means by shisha. Yeah, so you're getting that wrong. Shisha means... Okay, let me try again. Shisha means... <laughs> right, shisha means glass or window. And she <laughs> oh. is breaking the glass or window, probably as a ceiling. Okay, very good. So, <clears throat> the format of, of these podcasts, the first part... <clears throat> after these strange introductions, is that we are going to have some some brief Islamic lesson, and then from that we will get into a discussion that may or may not be related to the actual lesson. So, Violet, you've taken some notes uh, that you'd like to share with us. I'm not gonna let the notes. Okay. Anyways, um, so 
I was instructed to read Tafsir ibn Kathir's the commentary on the Basmalah. And and um, basically, he says there's debate whether or not people say Bismillah before you say Al-Fatiha or any other surah, whether you're supposed to say it out loud in Salah or not. Um, but then he also talks about its meaning. So, Bismillah, in the name of Allah, Ar-Rahman, Merciful, Ar-Rahim, the Compassionate, is what people usually translate it to. But, um, so, the name Ar-Rahman, it talks about an all-encompassing mercy. Like the mercy of, of Allah that he gives everyone life, he gives everyone so much. And then Ar-Rahim is specifically Allah's mercy for the believers. And um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that um, I have, um, I don't want to misquote this, but there's a hadith Qudsi where he, he talks, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about um, Ar-Rahman. He says, I am Ar-Rahman and I have derived um, the Raham, the womb, as in like family relations, from my name. And so whoever keeps it, I will keep ties with him. And whoever severs it, I will sever ties with him. Um, meaning that Ar-Rahman and is like a like giving us like a family is like a mercy from Allah and um, I don't know what I was going with that but okay, fair enough keep going um, so Ar-Rahman is only Allah's name but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has used Ar-Rahim to describe like the Prophet sallallahu and that is uh, pretty much okay good so, so just to recap some of your points, you spoke about the Basmalah, which is the, the first ayah of the Quran, and the first point you made is that there's a debate whether or not that is actually part of Al-Fatiha, and, and, uh, and so if we were to lay out the different schools of, of thought, about half say, yes, it is part of Al-Fatiha, half say that, that it is not, meaning it is recited with Al-Fatiha, but Al-Fatiha will still be seven verses, meaning they will split the last verse, last ayah, and then those who say it is not part of Al-Fatiha. Then <clears throat> another big point you made was about the word Rahma, uh, which is associated with Rahm, which is the womb of the mother. And so Rahman is the primary relationship that Allah Ta'ala has with creation, and of course, other than being creator. And then Rahma is a primary relationship that the Prophet, peace be upon him, has uh, in terms of his function for all of us. And that is also a primary relationship that we have with, with each other, inshallah, Rahma. And so just to add a little bit, Rahma has two parts. One part is mercy and the other part is intimacy. So when we're saying mercy, we're saying giving ease. So Allah Ta'ala creates us, and for many people it might be hard to detect, but a... The default that he has given us is ease, and it's often easier to understand it by the opposite, that he could make our lives more difficult. <clears throat> and then the Prophet, peace be upon him, as a guide is the embodiment of Rahmah in the sense that if we follow his way, we actually, contrary to popular belief, will have an easier life in this side as well as in the next side, inshallah. And then, this is the relationship we're supposed to have with each other. So I spoke of mercy, and then the, the other half being intimacy, being that if I recognize that Allah is giving me rahmah, 
then I will respond, inshallah, with gratitude. And then that brings me closer to Allah, that brings me in intimacy with Allah Ta'ala. And then likewise with the Prophet wasallam, the more I can appreciate him as an embodiment of Rahmah, the more I will be grateful for him to Allah Ta'ala, and the more I will also seek to be closer to him, to achieve, to receive more Rahmah. And then likewise for each other. If we give each other ease, then we also will, uh, we should respond with gratitude, creating intimacy or a stronger and stronger bond with each other. Okay, very good. So next time, inshallah, we'll build, we'll build upon that. So very, very short Islamic lesson for everyone. Now for the topic at hand. Uh, we're going to talk about romantic relationships on campus. So to give, to give the, the listeners some, some uh, uh, points to initially think about as all of you are getting your notes ready for, for whatever you've gotten from your, your, your research. Uh, uh, every year, there's usually one question that is the most common question that I receive uh, in, in the office from students. So a few years ago, the most common question I received was, was how do you reconcile free will with predestination? And then that was uh, affecting people and their faith. And then eventually the question became, a few years later, the question became, why do I even need religion? And, and meaning I have life operating already so many different ways. What is religion going to give me that's going to make my life any better? These are also topics, inshallah, that we will explore in the course of these podcasts in the future, Allah willing. And then even uh, last year, the most common question I received was, what if? Which is the question of anxiety. What if I don't get into med school? Or what if I don't know if my score is good enough to apply? Or if I should restudy for the MCAT again? Or what if I do not find love in my life? Or what if this person that I love, I don't find them to be beautiful or attractive or what have you? And so people would fall down this dark well of, of what if, what if, what if for every single scenario. Well, what if that happens? And if that happens, then what if this happens? And if this happens, well, what if that happens? And, and that was the most common issue last year. This year, however, far and away, the most common issue has been the question of romantic relationships where one student is attracted to another student or one student has developed feelings for, for uh, uh, another student. And as all three of you have heard from me many times, the point, I make a couple points over and over again, that if you spend time with someone, you are definitely going to develop feelings for them. Now, occasionally the feelings might be hate, but more often than not, the feelings will be fondness. And this will be uh, regardless of, of whether we're speaking of a man spending time with a woman or another man, you will develop fondness, at least friendship, when you spend time with someone. This is just human nature. But what happens sometimes is that if you spend time with another student, especially if it gets late into the night, you will start developing romantic feelings uh, for that person. And, and so many students over the course of this semester, as well as last semester, we're barely even halfway into this semester, have been coming either with concerns that they're developing feelings for students or concerns that they've already developed feelings and then they want to know what is next. So before discussing this further, any, any initial thoughts uh, before even getting into your notes? Uh, I'm just speaking, all three of you are undergrads. <coughs> you are a senior, mm -hmm. you are a first year, and you are a junior. You're right? a junior? <laughs> yes, I am. 
Okay. Well, in any case, you can express your surprise closer to the to the microphone. So. So one thing that you mentioned about people spending time with each other—that's something in psychology. We have the mere exposure effect. Okay. So if you're around someone, you start to uh, develop feelings for them. You, you like them more because you're around them more. Mm-hmm. So you're saying this is an actual psychology thing. Yes. What did you call it? The mirror exposure effect. Mirror exposure? Mirror exposure. M-E-R-E. Oh, M-E-R-E. The mirror exposure effect. Okay. So, yeah, that seems to be consistent 100% with exactly what I'm saying. Uh, if from your studies, do you recall any, any ways on what to do once you've developed these feelings? Like how to get out of them? Because that's... No idea. That, that's what students are also asking. Okay, I'm hooked onto this person. Now I want to get to them off of my mind. You were going to say something? Yeah. Uh, so while I was doing my research, um, I came across this very interesting article called Do Cultural Norms Kill Relationship Prospects? And I found it very interesting because it was uh, about this uh, Muslim uh, girl. She works at an office and she meets her co-worker who is also Muslim and then she developed feelings uh, towards him um, and it wasn't because of his looks or because of his physical appearance it was more because of the fact that he took interest in her life and he was interested in knowing more about who she was as a person about her family about her lifestyle choices what made her happy so it was more like that process where she gets to know him and then starts developing feelings for him but then she just like any one of us, she deals with the question of whether she should go ahead and confess her feelings to him or she should stay quiet. And I think that's one thing that all of us struggle with at some point because we just don't know how to deal with our feelings. We think that if we go forward and we confess, you know, we tell the other person, they might reject us or they might, you know, uh, they, they might judge us for, for, for doing that, especially for women. It's much difficult to do something like this because uh, of this whole, these societal norms that, you know, a woman is supposed to keep her feelings to herself. There needs to be a self-control. Um, men should take the initial steps and go forward and, you know, take the initiative. Um, so just like any one of us, she dealt with this um, this issue of whether she should keep her feelings to herself or she should go forward. Um, and just like I'm sure many people could relate to this, but she waited and she just spent more and more time with him and her feelings got a lot more serious and she was just a lot more into him uh, after that point. And then one day they went to this, I wouldn't call it a date, but they went to this uh, this dinner date or whatever you can, sorry. Um, so they uh, they had a very nice meal, and that is when he he was the one. He asked her, you know, do you have? Uh, are you seeing someone? And she got very excited because she felt that oh, okay, he's going to confess, and you know, he has feelings for me too. That's why he's interested. But then um, she said, no, I'm not seeing anyone. Are you? And then he was like, no. Uh, he was like, yeah, I met this. Uh, Lebanese girl uh, through some mutual friends and I um, uh, am planning to get engaged to her. Initially I uh, faced some issues because my parents um, didn't approve of it because she wasn't Pakistani or Indian 
so I had to convince them a lot to agree to this. And at that moment, her hopes, her aspirations, her dreams of being with him were crushed. And she was like, okay, I have to really get through this one, one more hour of us eating lunch together. And then I could just leave it, like forget everything. Um, and then she was like, why, why do you like her? You know, like what made you develop those feelings for her? And then he said that, oh, um, you know, she is very beautiful, her light her skin, her colorful eyes, you know, her, just the way she acts, her, the way she talks, it's very soft and polite. And then she was like, what the hell? Like, um, she, she just thought that how physical appearance matters so much to guys that they don't look anything beyond that. They want this, she, he wanted this fair skin, beautiful tall girl and you know th that that was his image of beauty and then uh she wondered how a lot of brown girls especially they destroy their physical appearance to you know satisfy uh other people or to basically find love and that is a problem because if you love someone you should be with them based on who they are and their their personality the kind of person they are and not just their looks or their physical appearance um so eventually uh that guy he moved to D Dallas and um she saw his pictures with the, his fiance on uh, social media and she wondered that you know, if, if I went and if I actually told him that I feel this for him, if I, if I love him, would things have been different or, you know, would there have been a future of us together? So I feel that, this is my personal opinion, I think that um, if you have feelings for someone, it is better that you tell them because there's no point of being in the middle and being confused because it is a big decision of your life. and. If you have feelings for someone, you might as well tell them and get an answer, whether it's yes or no, uh, instead of being in the middle and not doing anything about it. Okay. So, so first, uh, what was the name of that article? Uh, that that article is called "Do Cultural Norms Kill Relationship Prospects?" And what uh, what website or magazine is it from? It is from MuslimGirl.com. MuslimGirl.com. Okay. Yes. So <clears throat> first, just from what you remember from the story, um, you're saying that there is this co-worker and he expresses interest to her and then they go out to lunch? I mean, she was interested in him, but he perceived her as a friend and he just wanted to, you know. But she didn't know this. She, she didn't. Uh, she thought that he is also interested in her, <laughs> but she wasn't sure about it. But she was the one who was interested and had all these feelings for him. <laughs> and they were spending more and more time with each other. For, for him, it might be because, you know, he, was, he just saw her as a good friend <laughs> or someone who is uh, good to talk with. But for her, it was more like she saw that future. She described that <laughs> she used to daydream and, you know, like... Ben, uh, think about the fact that she would be with him forever and their life is going to be beautiful. So she had all these hopes up without knowing exactly how he felt. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think this in itself is, is an important point. 
related to what was it called again? The mere exposure effect. That not only uh, is she developing feelings for this person, she's even going so far as as imagining, uh, you know, whatever the next steps would be in terms of a relationship, whether uh, we're speaking about marriage or something else, and and. She's uh, as she is lost in her thoughts, or she's deep in her thoughts. She's thinking about about all the different ways this could go, and I think that is one hundred percent normal uh, when you have two people, especially especially if they are not married. That you, when you start considering someone, then you start considering all the different possibilities of of what can happen. Yeah. And what I found even more interesting was at the end when she was like you know, how he moved to another city and she wasn't in contact with him, but she saw his pictures in the social media with his fiance and she really thought that, you know, if I went forward and if, if I said that I have feelings for him, you know, she, she thought that they could have been together. And I think that thought itself, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say that it was wrong, but she never got that closure. Mm-hmm. She never got her answer yes or no and i think if you if someone has feelings for someone and if they get an answer whether it's a yes or a no it's easier for them to move on because at least they are not confused or they're not thinking of oh if i did this or if i did that they don't think about all of these different possibilities so like what i got out from the article was the fact that it is it is uh, better to get a closure whether it's in the positive side, I mean, if it's yes or a no, rather than just like waiting and, you know, living with this doubt that oh, if I did this, then things would have been different. Okay. I think another thing is, though, is that there's this stigma that women are very emotional and that they can't control their feelings so that then she may be thinking that like, oh, maybe these <clears throat> maybe these feelings like aren't real, you know, and so that's why it's more difficult for women to confess the feelings to men. Whereas the other way around, people know men aren't very emotional. So if they do confess feelings, then they must be serious. But I don't, I don't think that's true. And I think that we, as a society, we've just accepted that and made that the norm. And so if a woman does have feelings, we think that they're not necessarily valid. Mm-hmm. So, so you raise another point uh, uh, that even as in the case of this, this person... Uh, or in many cases, someone is going through the whole process of imagining a possible relationship or such. They're also probably doubting themselves. You know, is this real? Is this a possibility? Am I being too emotional? And the point you're making is that this is something definitely assigned to women, but men and women both both uh, uh, do this. That, and I would agree that they get also into this whole cycle of self-doubt, both in terms of the possible future as well as, okay, does this person have any, any interest in me? Were you about to, about to say something? I think my question is um, if she got that closure that she wanted, what, what would have changed? Like, if she asked, this guy already met someone, um, what would have changed if she got closure? If she asked, do you like me? And he said, yeah, what would have changed? Yeah, what do y'all think? Um, I think... So, I think that, um, uh, I think she did get her answer. The uh, that's, answer that's, that's what it seems like to the me. The answer like, was no. The answer was no, yeah. Yeah. But what were you going to say? I was saying that 
at the end, she did question herself again that, you know, if I went forward, if I, you know, spoke about my feelings, maybe he would be with me. Maybe I made, or maybe, maybe it was too late. Maybe if I said that stuff before, or, you know, if I, if I did something else. So, so that maybe, and that if, I think those two things messed up with her psychology Mm -hmm. because if she would have gotten her answer, whether a yes or no, there wouldn't be that maybe or that if in her in in her situation, which there was at the end. So I think, yeah, um, if he was, yeah, he, he made it very clear that, you know, I am seeing someone and I have feelings for, 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 for that uh, person. But sometimes you just have to hear the word no. To move on. But what if the truth is that he did have feelings for her, but he has this other thing that what if her what if that conversation disrupted something that's already going on through like authentic channels? You know? What if though that that what if is a bigger what if than the personal what if? I think more is at stake there. I think so so we have two scenarios here. Scenario one is before the lunch at some point. So I don't know if you had a sense of how long they were working uh, with each other before um, the lunch. It was a year, a I year. think. So year, let's say let's say five five months earlier mm-hmm. if she asked and he said yes, that's one thing. But you're asking what if at the lunch, you know, or after she finds out that he has this other this other relationship, if she asked, Do you have feelings for me? And suppose he says yes. It seems like that's what the closure, that's the closure she wanted. Like after she found out that she, he, he's taken, that's when the need for closure developed. I see what I, according to what I got out from this article, she, she, she thought that, you know, maybe things would have been different if I, if I spoke to him about my feelings five or six months mm-hmm. before the lunch date. Mm-hmm. So maybe, like, not necessarily on that day, but before. Maybe if, if I confessed earlier, uh, like, before he met that girl or before he had feelings for her, maybe things would have been different. Mm-hmm. So I, the, the, the whole point is that sometimes it is better to hear that yes or that no just to, like, move on. You know, th- mm-hmm. that one word can change a lot. Sure, yeah. So she started doubting herself you know and another thing that i found very interesting it was from another article well let's get let's get to that in a second okay. um, so uh a question for for all three of you but especially you two meaning violet and and sage <coughs> uh that shisha's making the point that if you have feelings you should disclose them you should share them now i'm going to slightly change the scenario here in in shisha's article we're talking about People who are working professionally. Uh, let's change it to suppose they are undergrads, and this is the question for you, also, Shisha. That if someone has feelings for someone, should they share? Now, right now, think about it. Um, uh, I'm also going to uh, remind us, like when the Prophet peace be upon him is teaching us, you know, what are the different reasons why people get married? He he gives four uh, common reasons. You might marry someone because of their lineage. You might marry someone because of their wealth. You might marry someone because of their beauty. 
But the best reason to marry someone, of course, is for their deen, their, their religiousness, their piety and such. The other three are not bad reasons, but the best one is, is for their deen. Um, and, and so <clears throat> uh, having given you each uh, a moment to think about it, what do you think? If we have two undergrad, or if we have an undergrad who has feelings for an, another undergrad, should they share why or why not? I mean, we know what the right answer is. Like, what's the right answer? Like your your every other khutbah is um, <laughs> no. <laughs> so, but, but what's your opinion? Uh, I think my opinion is that, um, like, it depends. It's the goal, you know. If the goal is short term enjoyment or like short term validation and short term companionship. Um, then, yeah, confess. But if the goal is uh, long-term, uh, a long-term relationship that involves commitment, then you would definitely have to go through um, the people in your life and her life that have authority, um, which are both of your parents, basically. Uh, and, that, and that'll facilitate something that, that, that has like, that commitment built in. That's the right answer. Okay. But is that your answer? Um, I plead the fifth. <laughs> okay. You're on a podcast. You can't do that, but I'll let you go this one time. Yes. Um, I think that you shouldn't... How do I say this? Like, if you know it would disrupt your studies, don't do it. Okay. Don't do it. There's so much. There's, there's so much more to life than that relationship, you know. And maybe, maybe at the end of your, you know, college career, then you confess. But don't, don't ruin your your career for no reason. Like, because then it, this might be something you interact with. They're obviously something you interact with if you like them. So it might disrupt your, like everyday activities if you do confess and there's a rejection because then you won't talk to this person anymore maybe or maybe things will be awkward between you and you can't get your work done stuff like that okay why do we have to frame it as a confession as if it's something like negative yeah, you know that's a good question um, what would be a better word sharing yeah. <laughs> sharing your low yeah <laughs> okay exactly Okay, yeah, that's, that's a good clarification or a good uh, correction. Yeah, what do you think, Shisha? If these were two undergrads that worked, let's say, in the same lab, should should she come forward to him and say, I love you? Um, I agree with Selena. I <laughs> yeah, it was, you mean Violet? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with Violet. I, I feel that... Um, relationships or even just having crush on someone can really mess things up like it can be a major distraction um it's not easy to have that self-control and you know uh, whether whether the person likes you or does not you know if if you go ahead and you share your feelings um to that person it can serve as a major distraction. It can affect your studies. It can affect your mental health, your emotional well-being. Uh, but I feel that um, if you if you have feelings for someone and you want, you know, you you 
want to spend your life with that person you you have a specific goal in your mind it is better that you let that person know and then if they feel the same thing for you then you guys can possibly um, decide that you guys won't do anything about it till you guys graduate and um, uh, you're, you're done with your studies and then it's up to you and your parents as of what to do next but I think that it is worse to be in the middle of like having feelings for someone and not doing anything about it than going to that person and saying what how you feel about them okay it so. is a complicated uh, process I feel but I think it's better to admit the truth and move on okay I feel like we're approaching relationships as risks which I guess they are risky, but there's also the opportunity for so much uh, solace and like emotional stability in a good relationship, you know? So is it, is it right to, is it, is it right to be, um, to make someone be alone until they're what, 25, 26 and they have a job and then they can get married? But for that, like, between the ages of 13 to 25, they're, they're um, lacking companionship. And I'm not saying that there's not other sources of companionship, but um, to, ha to, to not experience love um, of a romantic source, does that, of, a, of a romantic sort, does that, does that kind of limit a person's emotional experience? Um, in their development. What do y'all think? I mean, it um, is like the sunnah to marry young, right? Mm -hmm. To prevent like the fitna of, you know. <laughs> Things. Yeah. Okay. Um, I actually, it's a really good point. It's a really good point. My question is that why do we perceive relationships or commitment at an early age as a negative? even if you choose to be with someone you marry them or you're with them you can still achieve your dreams you can still complete your education while being with that person it might be even better because you have their support and you have someone who you can you know share your feelings with someone you can talk to so like i don't think it's about the fact that oh you should only get married or you should only be with someone after you graduate or after you um, you know find a job I think there are some very good situations where I personally know people who went to their you know who got married and then went to the med school together and uh, completed their education so they went through this whole journey of their ups and downs but they found support in each other so I don't see that as a negative I just feel that it's it differs from person to person um, some it, it should be about the fact whether you 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 found that right person or, or not or you know whether you're ready for that relationship or not mm -hmm. so it's really not about the right age I feel that if you find the right person and you're ready to be in a relationship and be committed to the other person at the age of 18 or 20 you can be with that person for some people it's at 28 for some people it's 
at 20 for some people it's later but it's really about finding the right person and not really giving into these societal norms of getting married at a certain age i don't think there is anything such as the right age okay but how do you know that a person is the right person if they're the first person that you've ever talked to that's a really important okay make your point that's something that i'm very scared about so my mother had uh like a previous marriage and previous relationships and that's something she's always very um cautious about with me is she always tells me don't trust everyone she says like she always tells me that like i'm a very like caring person don't fall for someone who's not as caring because then you might end up ruining your whole life for this person that's not right for you mm-hmm. so yeah. so yeah so so we're all raising a couple of points here uh one <coughs> is the point, is there a right age or a wrong age? And I'll say from from my experience, uh, there isn't a right or wrong age. There is the question of, number one, how mature is somebody? And by maturity here, I'm speaking about a couple things. The biggest one being, do they take ownership for their situation? Do they take ownership for their responsibilities? Do they take ownership for their anger? And then if they're younger, especially, how much parental support or external support will will the couple have? So I have seen marriages of of people who've gotten married in their teen years with full parental, full family support on both sides. And the support I'm distinguishing from intrusion. Um, Intrusion is when the parents are completely controlling every aspect. I don't know Mm -hmm. if that really works in any scenario for, for, at least for, for, for young people who've grown up in the United States. But are they providing support? And this includes financial support, uh, emotional support, and reflection and such. If the parents are having their kids get married early, uh, then they have to be of the approach that they are treating their children like adults. And so now let me add another point without getting too far off into a tangent. So, So we have a very famous narration attributed to Ali. May Allah be pleased with him. Uh, uh, Imam Ali, where he is saying that for the seven, first seven years, you play with your child. For the next seven years, you mold and discipline your child. And then after that, you become your child's friend. And the point being that by the time your child is 14, you should treat them like an adult. If at 14, you're treating your child like an adult, then as a parent, it is more reasonable that you're going to support them getting married at a young age, let's say 18. Um, uh, if you're not doing that and you're making your child get married, then you're actually asking for some very serious problems because you're still treating your child like a child. Now you're expecting them to get involved in the second most adult relationship of their life. The first most adult relationship of their life will be of being a parent themselves. So, so that's, that's my basic thought. My meaning, the first uh, assessment is your maturity and the second is when necessary, how much support do you have? So you could get married at a young age, but uh, but then you also raised the point, <coughs> Sage, that what about if we're uh, generally in our South Asian and Arab cultures, we're requiring the young people to wait until they have their advanced degrees in hand, which could be at earliest 25 and sometimes even later, and we're expecting them to have no uh no personal intimate relationships and intimate relationships i'm speaking primarily emotionally intimate in this context right and 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 then we're throwing them 
into into that relationship. And that, I do think, is a fundamental problem in our community for which I don't have an answer. Meaning, should we have something like a, a dating culture? Now, all of us know that there's all kinds of people in MSA who are way beyond you know, even a question of dating or anything like that in terms of the relationships that they have. I'm speaking here for people who are trying to, to, to the best that they can follow, suppose, uh, so to speak, the rules and such. Uh, um, is there a way for people to have, uh, uh, you know, an intimate relationship with someone else that does not involve scandal, that does not involve zina, you know, unlawful fornication, um, but still is a deep emotional relationship? Um, you look like you're about to. Oh yeah, go ahead. Um, I I feel that. Yeah. Violet. Violet mentioned the point of, you know, this fear that all of us have, especially women before they, you know, when, when they're getting into a relationship or before they are in a relationship. And I think it was a very valid point because if I speak for myself, um, I personally find the thought of being in a relationship with someone very scary without knowing them without knowing about their family without you know getting to know them as a person i think it's very important for for us as youngsters as young muslims to know uh what we are getting into before we step into that zone uh, especially when it comes to relationships because there it relationship is a commitment it's a responsibility and you have to take ownership of your actions and you know um of uh, uh the situations that you are in so just you know not knowing the other person or not knowing their thoughts and their outlook towards life if you get into a relationship with that person then you're kind of putting yourself in this major risks of you know, later being heartbroken or, mm -hmm. you know, not being able to adjust with them. So dating, this is how I see it. I think uh, as long as you have a self-control, as long as you know your limits, I don't see that as a negative thing. I think it can really help you in knowing about the other person and then making the decision whether you would like to be with that person in the long run or not. Mm -hmm. You were about to say something? I think that um, going back to the point of lacking emotional experience, um, talking to like friends who have been in relationships, they've learned so much from being in a relationship just on the, on the level of just emotional intelligence um, that I don't think it's possible for someone who's never experienced it to have that level of emotional intelligence um, through the pain and the joys you know the the, the through both sides of it um, and I'm just wondering is that like um, what what gaps in my own emotional intelligence do I have um, by attempting to find a relationship after um, I'm like 23 or 24 25 um, does Will I, will I even be, will, will a person like me or will a person who's never been in a, in a serious relationship have uh, the ability to connect with a person on that level um, and to, to adapt to another person 
the way that someone with experience in in managing their own emotions and the emotions of someone else uh, will will there be any competition you know um, and that's a question and I think the fundamental question is when are we allowed to make commitments and when can commitments be facilitated for me if we're talking about an emotional commitment yeah then <clears throat> I don't know that we have very much of a precedent for it that uh, it seems that more often than not uh, culturally speaking either you're a bachelor or you are a spouse exactly now the question becomes uh, you're raising the question can I uh, without an experience can I have this uh, emotional relationship uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna give a follow-up question but you look like uh, Violet you're gonna say something yeah so you said that there's either you're a bachelor or you're a spouse in terms of how we culturally yeah commonly so frame. I I know someone who's in an interesting position so they they are my age okay. and they got married so uh, you're talking about first year in college yes okay. and they're married but they tell everyone that their their husband is their boyfriend okay. rather than their husband because a lot of people have this like the stigma that like oh she's so young why is she married and so they call each other boyfriend and girlfriend and it's like an in-between category but they're still keeping it hello yeah, I mean if they're married then yeah <laughs> they are definitely keeping it hello so do the parents know that they're married yes interesting uh, I have been involved in a number of cases like that where the parents will do what is effectively a private nikah. And by private, I don't mean secret. I mean, they're just not advertising it uh, for, you know, this, this boy and girl. And eventually, they have a, a public, uh, public ceremony. So that's one option. And so what that would then mean is culturally, we're lowering uh, what we mean by nikah. Uh, tremendously. So right now, what is nikah? Nikah is you have this gigantic ceremony that it costs enough money to buy a luxury car, and and then you have a video just to prove that it happened that no one will ever watch, and then and then they go into their their married life. But if we make it something much simpler, where the parents that okay, someone a student has or these two students have feelings for each other. And then they go to the parents uh, to say that they want to develop something more substantive. And then the parents, you know, investigating each other's families, getting to know each other, decide, okay, we will support a, a, a private nikah. And then they can, then they're literally halal in terms of their interaction. So that is a possibility. Uh, that would require not only a, a massive cultural shift, which would have to start with some people doing it, um, but also, you would also have to develop new language because if if they're calling each other boyfriend girlfriend, uh, on the one hand, <clears throat> in terms of their private space, they're doing things properly. But then on the other hand, um, I think we can argue that they're contributing to the exact same system that they're trying to avoid. You see what I'm saying? So uh, uh, you know, so this is uh, literally something different than an engagement, but it is something to to keep in mind. Now, what I would uh, definitely not encourage is two college students deciding and doing this on their own. 
Um, this seems to happen in waves on, on college campuses uh, where two people decide, okay, they love each other they're and their parents will never understand, and so they're going to do a secret nikah. And then uh, she gets pregnant, and then everything starts falling apart, right? Um, seen it all. So, so, but the point is that uh, I don't have an answer for, for you, Sage, regarding how much emotional experience someone needs to have to enter marriage. Uh, because I don't know that having relationships is going to make someone better qualified for marriage. For the fundamental reason that marriage you're entering theoretically uh, for the long term right? Uh, for us, it's not a till death do you part uh, sacrament. You know, divorce is a thing. But the point is that there's, I don't know of any type of relationship that can truly compare to a husband and wife living together, right? Uh, nevertheless, there are some, there are some things that uh, uh, just related to uh, compassion kindness, complexity of emotions that a person can learn that they're probably not going to learn having, you know, a, a men's basketball league or something like that, you know. So your question is still, I think, a valid one. I'm just saying I don't know uh, how to have uh, a sufficient training for, for someone. I think it's, it's also possible to have knowledge of, like, relationships without being, one in, being in one yourself. Okay. Like, in high school, all my non-Muslim friends came to me for relationship advice. Was it was it good advice? I hope so. <laughs> and now today they but, are all Muslim. Anyway, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> so I learned a lot from them, from all the relationship problems mm -hmm. they've been having. And I realized that I would never want to be in a haram relationship because of the... The... Um, what's the word? The... Haram? <laughs> yes, also... Uh, how how easy it is to break it off? Okay. You know, mm -hmm. people they they get married or not get married. They um, they meet someone, they become boyfriend or girlfriend, then they decide they don't like that person because they ate the last slice of pizza and then it's over. You know, and it, there's in in a marriage there's not, I mean there is, there are marriages like that where people divorce over the silliest things, but on the other hand there's an actual commitment there and people try to work through problems. Rather than saying, oh, this person can't drive me anywhere anymore because they don't have a car anymore, so I'm breaking it off. Okay, so, so a key point that I'm hearing what you're saying uh, related to the whole question of commitment is how easy it is to, to get out, which means it becomes easier not to take it as seriously. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Any follow-up thoughts? Um, yeah, I, I agree with Violet. Violet. <laughs> Uh, but I, I, I'm about to make a very bold statement. Might be a little controversial, but I feel that in, in our, right now, um, from what I see and from what I have experienced, I feel that a lot of people in our society, they don't know what marriage is in Islam they have uh, they're scared of it they're scared of commitment and that is because they're not educated enough about what it is from an Islamic perspective many times the the culture and the religion are mixed together um, 
yeah, many times the culture and the religion are mixed together and that forms a lot of confusion in people's mind. Like I was reading this article, uh, why all Muslim women should use prenups and uh, they described marriage as an agreement, one that can be revoked and the Quran does recognize that relationships can break and that's why women are in the most more vulnerable situation and um, they also shed some light into what nikah is that it's a very powerful tool for muslim women especially um, anything that the couple agrees on can actually go into their marriage contract as long as islam does not forbid it and it could include things like what wife can own after separation where the cu where the couple couple will live or you know all the rights that a woman have and i think a lot of muslim men and women are unaware of their rights they're they're, they're unaware of what can go into that marriage contract they're un they're they're not aware of all the rights that they have um being a married couple and i think it's more due to the the whole cultural uh, mindset that a woman is expected to make all those sacrifices that she should stay at home she should cook she should take care of her husband um many women and men they don't really know you know the the freedom and the rights that they have and i think what we should work on as a collective society is we should create more awareness on what marriage is so what was your controversial statement <laughs> my controversial statement <laughs> was that well it was just the fact that you know how um wait no never mind sorry that should Okay. That didn't go as I thought. No, still, it was you, you made some good points, Ashella. Uh, we'll have we'll have a separate discussion at some point, more about details of marriage. Um, but uh, but uh, we'll probably revisit a lot of these points, whether we're talking about prenups and rights and responsibilities, and even you know ignorance that people have about what's involved with marriage. You look like you're about to make your controversial statement. <laughs> uh, I think my controversial statement was was the fact that we just don't know you know we're, we're we're just not educated enough when it comes to relationships and commitments we 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 consider them as a burden we think that oh if you get married your your life is done you know there's nothing else like you just have to be especially for women you just have to be at home and take up all these responsibilities like they 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 perceive marriage as the end when it's not when okay. it can be a start to something better or mm -hmm. bigger yeah i think that's also another important point uh, i want to touch on this this uh, this point that you made a few times and violet's also made a few times okay so p suppose we hypothetically figure out a system uh you know a halal system of people having relationships uh, i find myself thinking we're still going to be stuck with the same trap that uh, if the relationships break, it doesn't affect the guy as much socially as it affects the the woman. Uh, and so I'm going to make a few more comments, but think about think about this this thing that I'm asserting uh, that that both of you have especially made before, because it was Sage who's making the the the, the question. He's asking the question, and he is a guy uh, about the possibility of having some sort of relationships. 
as a way to be prepared for the ultimate relationship of, of, of marriage, inshallah. Uh, but it seems to me that even if we had such a system, uh, <clears throat> we have this bigger problem, whether we call it patriarchy, misogyny, or, or whatever the case may be, that a woman's honor and a woman's reputation gets tainted uh, and thus written off much, much more quickly, far more quickly and easily than, than a guy's does. Uh, any thoughts? I think that's very true. If, if a woman has had a previous marriage, it's a huge deal, and the parents are more likely to disagree on whether or not their son should marry this woman and all the stuff. Mm -hmm. But then if a guy has had a previous marriage, it's like, oh, okay, it's fine. You know, my daughter needs to be married to someone. <laughs> like, stuff like that. It's, it's just sad. It's very unfortunate. It's very unfortunate because I personally know someone in my family who had, he, he, he's a guy and he had an unsuccessful marriage and, you know, his mother is looking for, for girls who are in their early 20s when he is in his middle 30s. And I wonder, even though he is part of my family, but I wonder if it was the other way around, if he was not a guy, if he was a girl, would, would they have the same thinking or would the situation be the same? And then they get very sensitive when the other side says no or you know they're like oh no um, my daughter is very young and you know she's doing this she's doing that and that's that that totally makes sense but I feel that yeah it is different for guys and girls as much as I hate to say this but Muslim girls are they're judged they're mocked even they're they're talked about if they um, have romantic relationships or if they develop feelings for someone and it's very different for guys. I think a guy can talk to 25 girls at the same time and he wouldn't really be, people would think, oh, it's so cool that he's trying to know more girls and he's, you know, he's trying to get involved. Uh, but if the girl does the same, then we ourselves form these judgments and we think that, oh, wow, why, why is she you know, why is she doing this? Why is she taking interest in so many guys? Like, what really, what's in her mind? She's not, su she's probably not suitable, suitable for marriage. Her reputation is destroyed easily. Um, and I think another point is that boys do not get asked by their families that, you know, why you're going uh, at night to parties or like why you some are. boys do not some boys I, I mean you know, get in trouble for being out past six but anyway continue like where, where they're going and who they're hanging out with um, but for girls it's different because you have to be home at a specific time be home at 7 p.m. be home at uh, 5 p.m. Um, be home right after your classes are done for guys it's different like i i some of my friends some of my guy friends they tell me that you know uh we could get home at like 3 a.m in the morning and our parents wouldn't question us but if our sister does the same thing then it's different and i get the point i get the fact that at the end of the day your parents are just concerned about you they want your safety they don't want anything wrong to happen to you but i think if if that's the intention, then I think 
we need to communicate and we need to have that relationship with our family that you know we're not scared to voice our opinion Mm -hmm. Um, many people don't say or they don't talk about their relationships or their feelings because they feel that their parents will never get it like their parents will never understand their point which is true but I think your parents are not your enemy they want the best for you but I think it needs to be from both sides. Parents need to come to their child and act like their friends and not these, um, I don't want to use the word dictator, but basically not dictators, but as friends. And kids need to be more, uh, you know, they need to accept the fact that after all, it's your parents who want the best for you. And they don't have any, you know, they don't have any self-interest. They don't, uh, you know, they, it's not that they want anything out from you. They just want the best from you. So you need to tell them and you need to be honest to them. But I think it it is from both sides. I think both sides need to work on this relationship. What were the two sides? The, the parent parents, and the child? The parents and the child. I, yeah. think, I think it also depends on your parents. Like my parents, I could stay up till midnight and they'd be fine. Like, and they did the same thing with my brother. Like they... They're very equal in terms of that. And also, we li- we, it's also because we lived in a small town. It's very safe. There's not much going on. So we, we, we literally keep our door unlocked sometimes. But um, in terms of, like, how they treat us, we are... Tr- like, I truly feel like I am, like, my parents' friend. Like, I talk to them about almost everything. And, my, like, my mom knows, like, all my crushes and stuff. And it's not, like... But, but they still keep that, that authoritative uh, line there. Like, there's, there's no... Like, we're not so close that, like, I don't get in trouble for things. And I think that's important for parents. Mm-hmm. Is that they're friends with their kids, but they're also a parent. Because mm-hmm. you, you see the other way sometimes. Sometimes, like, there'll be parents who are just their kid's friend. And then they'll be like, oh, you should go ask this kid out and all this stuff. And it's not parenting. It's more, like your best friend that hypes you up <laughs> mm-hmm. so so you're you're both raising this key point about the whole issue of relationships and such that um the first relationship being the parent and the child is also going to dictate a lot of these things that <clears throat> if i'm the parent and i have this friendship relationship with the child still keeping the authority as the parent then chances are I am going to be more likely to work with the child in their relationship development. If, however, we don't have the relationship where I'm the parent and I'm the dictator, or I'm the child and I feel my parents are dictators, then I'm not going to have as much, as the child, I'm not going to have as much confidence in being able to pursue a relationship path that my parents will be supportive of. Or if I'm the parent, I may not be in as as confident that my child is going to pick a safe, mature way, or I might not even trust my child. And and on campus, uh, I've I've seen it all. But uh, but we are saying here that all right, if there's this healthy, uh, wholesome relationship between the parent and the child, then that's an indication that we can probably find a pathway for a healthy emotional, a healthy wholesome pathway for the child. I don't even like using child, but the, the young-ish adult to... to the offspring. The offspring <laughs> to, to, to develop relationships. What do you think, Sage? I mean, we started this discussion by talking about 
the disparity between how male children and female children yes uh, are treated and then we went into communication techniques between parents and children um, I think that it's true I think like I can't I can only speak from my own experience but um, a lot of times w- if if the relationship between the parent and the child is um, driven by duty rather than an emotional connection um, the per the, the child doesn't have that emotional intelligence and I think that creates a vacuum too and that makes that pushes the kid to find emotional satisfaction elsewhere um, so yeah I think your relationship with your parents definitely impacts how you pursue or don't pursue relationships in a setting where you're where you have a degree of independence um, and I think it's like a feedback loop for how you perceive your parents and then how they impose or don't impose their values or their vision for you on you um, that was a long sentence but that was very profound I you? think yeah. I hope that made sense I don't know yeah um, you have uh, one of your articles from uh, uh, from from your research at your end okay so actually I found this article which base I found it right now actually oh. which basically says a lot, a lot of the things that I was saying um, in terms of emotional intelligence. What is the, the name of the article and where can it be found? Okay, so it, 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 it's not complaining about things. It's, it's very productive in its approach. It's called, Looking to Get Married. Here are a few tips. Okay. <laughs> okay. And what is, what is the source? On MuslimMatters.org. Muslim Matters, okay. Um, but yeah, it talks about um, the generational divide in our community in terms of young people not having training for pursuing relationships but also being thrust in this world of relationships after they leave the house or after even even while they're at the house um, like verbatim it says the individuals are seeking high quality relationships but few have the skills and emotional intelligence needed to find one they are left to learn on their own through trial and error and often a lot of pain um, unquote um, and so they talk about like different things that you could do, um, different like. Tr- <laughs> they talk about um, like working on yourself, um, becoming a person that someone else would want, in order to prepare for uh, a potential relationship, um, and to not be deluded into into thinking that the issues that you have now in terms of emotional fulfillment and like. Um, your whatever m- mental uh, health issues you have or whatever um, whatever issues you have won't be magically solved after. So its approach is to, to say, make yourself the best version of yourself um, that you can be and then approach the process of um, seeking a partner. Mm-hmm. So, so that's a, that's an important point. Yeah. Uh, don't be deluded, and make yourself the best person that you, that you can be. All right. right, right, right. Um, and it, ta- it it goes on and on, but like, I think that was my main takeaway is working on yourself, and then pursuing. But then the question is, um, 
how or like how long do you have to work on yourself before you can let someone else into your life to help you uh, work on yourself or like to grow with you you know like it's I feel like it also kind of makes presents it as if you should be like uh, a complete person who whose growth is mostly done before you seek someone and like most passion-based relationships begin when the person is in the process of development so I think that's like a place of possible contention okay question for you or question for everyone here what is the definition of being the best version of yourself Mm -hmm. like how do you seek that that perfection because according to me perfection is overrated i mean it's impossible for you to be perfect it's it's impossible for you to seek you know that that completion so like what is your opinion yeah i didn't say perfection per se but i said i think the a better way to say would be the best version of yourself which is what the article says um so for example they talk about um quote if you have no control over your desires before marriage you won't magically gain control afterwards if you have a substance abuse problem join a program if you feel on if you feel you are emotionally unhealthy get help from a professional bottom line is have your house in order before you decide to build a new one uh, unquote i think that's like the 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 message that they're trying to get across yeah i mean i would uh, reiterate the point i made a little while ago that uh, in terms of maturity you take ownership for yourself uh, there'd be a couple of skills that you should have, like the capability and practice of cleaning up after yourself, uh, uh, cleaning up your messes both physically, whether we're talking about laundry or the table or the room or the house, or uh, cleaning up the, the messes that you make metaphorically with, with other people, which again goes back to taking ownership and, and uh, uh, having control of of yourself whether we're talking about control of your desires or control of your anger and 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 such those would be some of the core things but yeah uh otherwise your best self is something that you keep striving to get closer to throughout the entire lifetime not just um, by the time you get married meaning continuous quality improvement over and over again i think for me maturity is trying to change yourself in a positive way and knowing that you will not be better just because you've changed yourself. Like, some days I think I'm okay, then some days I'm like a horrible person, but those ups and downs are normal, and you can't, you can't uh, stop yourself from, from having a relationship because you think you're, un- you're unperfect, because you're not gonna be perfect, but you need to, I think that's part of it is realizing that and knowing that your growth is something that you need to work on yourself. And even if you have someone beside you, they're not going to help you grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we'll, again, we'll have more on marriage itself, but uh, built into to some of the points that you just made, Violet, I would say you're not marrying uh, your therapist, and you're potentially not even marrying your best friend. Uh, it could be 
that you know your best friend might be one of your girlfriends sage could be your best friend might be might be a guy friend while you know you're each in a happy marriage you are marrying a life partner which is something different again we'll define that uh, a little bit later on let me let me bring all those uh, again back to the the original topic being uh, campus romances because you're also reminding me of what are people seeking uh, mm-hmm. in the whole question of a campus romance? So let's say someone has feelings for someone. What are they hoping for? How would you answer that question? I would say they're hoping for validation and companionship, mm-hmm. and it, maybe like sexual fulfillment too, if yeah. if they're into that. I think uh, I think these are very very important points because we're often looking only through the lens of companionship. But validation is a huge thing that, that people are seeking, especially if you didn't get sufficient validation from your parents. And so often you'll get validation from your parents, and then that will create a certain amount of self-esteem in you. If you don't get it from your parents, especially if you don't get it from the father figure in your life, then you're going to be searching for it everywhere. And thus, this is where you find people will start conforming to what they think other people want, which could be unhealthy practices, unhealthy language, uh, what have you. And so even in a companionship, uh, uh, a person might not realize that what they're really seeking is is to be validated. Yeah, because it's such a big self-esteem boost for someone to voluntarily choose to spend, to invest their emotional energy in you. Yeah. Um, and I think even a lot of like normal friendships are very emotionally superficial too. Mm-hmm. Um, they just happen to they just happen to exist because two people share the same space and time um, but uh, to to be validated you need someone to decide for themselves that you're worth emotional energy uh-huh. yeah and that can totally lift up someone's esteem. And so this is what often we find in the infatuation part of, of a relationship or a pre-relationship, that, that the person uh, is, is developing feelings for this person, and then each time the, the object of their infatuation gives them attention, uh, then that just skyrockets the person's self-esteem because they're getting validated, and especially because they're getting validated in a way they've never gotten before. And so a person might think they're looking for companionship, but they're literally looking for someone to say, you are worth my time, Uh, which again, should be coming from the parents and should be established in the person, but it is a community-wide problem that this is not happening, and thus the desire for, for a relationship becomes even greater. And then the fact of the matter is, yeah, there's uh, there's also desires for things like sexual fulfillment and such. We'll probably have to have a whole separate session on pornography and those things. But uh, the point is that you've all heard from me over and over again that biology is stronger than rationality. That if you start spending time with a person, you're going to start developing feelings for them. But once you choose to embrace the fact that you start having feelings for them, your biology is going to start, start uh, taking over. And so this is a point that I had in the back of my mind when, when Violet, you were talking about uh, a couple that might be doing everything halal. Uh, I don't know how much strength two people have, especially if the relationship has been fully halalified, to restrain themselves physically from each other. That, again, biology, I think, is, is, is very powerful. 
and and so let's say you have two people who do not have the the niqab between them uh, but they do have privacy between them uh, even then, I think it becomes very, very hard for two people to restrain themselves from, from each other. So a point that, again, students often hear me make is that, all right, if you've already decided that you're going to be talking to each other, whether it has your parents' support or not, then the second, and I'm not saying that I agree with it or approve of it, but I'm saying that if you are going to do that, then you have to put on very, very strict rules. Like, for example, what time of day will you be communicating with each other? Because the later into the night you communicate with each other, the more your guard is going to drop faster and faster. So I often tell people, all right, shut off communication, let's say either Maghrib or at the latest um, around 10 p.m. Because each hour you go past 10 p.m., your guard goes down. Your, your, and your, which means your, inhibit, your inhibitions become much more removed. And so if you're talking to someone starting at 10 p.m. and then you get to 11 and then you get to 12 and then you get to 3, uh, number one, you don't want to get off the, the, the call, whether it's a FaceTime or what have you, and then, or if you're in person and then, you know, you still have all this curiosity talking about this and that, and, and you will go into directions down a slippery slope that you never imagined uh, that you would have. That's also the cold reality of, of this. Any thoughts? It's not really a cold reality. It's a very warm reality. Oh, nice, mashallah. Okay, explain. <laughs> but explain what you mean. Like, it feels good. It feels, it feels, it feels like a, like a, like a, not a slippery slope, like a, a slip and slide. A slip and slide. <laughs> slip and slide. <laughs> like <laughs> in hot fudge. <laughs> right. But, uh, and... I think it comes down to fear. Okay. We fear a lot enough to say no. Okay. Uh, if a person fears a lot enough, it's almost like that will have gradations because uh, if I fear a lot enough that I'm not going to enter into the conversation outside of prescribed time. Now let's say, all right, I've inched closer to it and I've crossed into it. And then will I fear a lot enough to not take the conversation any further. But let's say over the course of weeks of conversation, we've crossed that line. And so so your principle is correct. This also is the story of Yusuf salam in, in the Quran when the wife of the Aziz is trying to seduce him. And, and, and so he is saying, you know, I fear my master uh, uh, more. And, and I mean, depending on how you read it, it's the master is Allah Ta'ala, but also the, uh, the allegiance to, to his boss. Uh, and so, so the goal, uh, in terms of the wholesomeness thing, is that you want to implement your fear immediately, and then make it uh, a wall. But uh, if it's a classmate, you're going to see them again the next day, and then the next day, and then the next day, and it's as though that wall gets chipped at, little by little, more and more. Cool. Yeah, um, I would like to go back to Sage about seeking validation from other people or like your potential partner and my question is that why do we need to seek validation from other people like why do we want other people or you know our, our potential partner or the person we like to come to us and say that you're fine you know you're worth my time you are um 
you you are worth my attention uh, you're capable of being in a relationship like why do you need the other person to tell you that i think that is dangerous because you are kind of finding support in this other person who possibly is well i think a stranger and you're kind of uh allowing yourself to get dependent on the other person the harsh reality of life is that you you are probably going to be the only person who would stay forever um people in your life they come and they also leave so if you are allowing someone to take so much authority or you know if you are getting dependent on someone to such a big extent then you're kind of putting yourself in a very dangerous situation which i think is not right thoughts yeah that's still so fair like to be dependent on someone else is is what does that mean walk well, talk slower oh uh i think that's totally fair to be dependent on someone emotionally is um is a dependency and uh, the thing is if if you lack that elsewhere you're going to seek that somewhere else um and i think a healthy relationship i'm talking like outside of an islamic context a healthy relationship involves both partners maintaining some sort of like some some semblance of personal boundaries right emotional boundaries um so that it's not a codependent relationship or a, a, a an imbalanced relationship and i think that's something to take into account um but i don't think i don't think see i don't think getting validation <coughs> from someone means that you can't live without it like you can you can live without it but it feels good to have it you know if it's not pathological i think the with the onset of social media this made this a lot more prevalent is people seek validation from others like they get likes on their posts they get comments on their posts they all they always want people to tell them they look pretty and all this stuff but i think that has normalized seeking validation from other people rather than knowing that you're valuable and just accepting that in yourself i i agree i i like the point uh, that you mentioned about social media i'm on instagram and there was a point when i used to post a lot of pictures because you know i wanted to get a lot of likes and you know a lot of comments and i was looking in a way to get validation from other people that you know i matter that i you know that my presence make difference to their life but i think it's very super superficial because first social media does not define anyone's life like people only post stuff that they want other people to see there's a lot more to it there's a lot more um behind those pictures behind that smile behind those stories if someone is posting uh you know instagram stories about uh the their massive birthday celebration or you know their massive achievement they're only projecting an image that you know everything in their life is perfect when it's not no one is perfect um our lives are not perfect but we want other pe- we we only want people to see 
the good things we only want people to see that you know everything is going right we don't want anyone to see what is going behind the closed doors and i think social media adds to that because then you're making that you know you're making that image of yourself that things are fine when they're not and i find that um, i i think it's very dangerous when i not dangerous but i find it very interesting when i see a lot of couples posting like you know their pictures together or you know the the vacations that they um go to on monthly basis or yearly basis or whatever i think that you're kind of uh you're kind of showing through your actions that see i have all of this and i'm showing off and uh i everything is right in my relationship and then other people think that oh my relationship is not like that so there must be something wrong with me or there must be something wrong that i'm doing so it's just a thought that came mm-hmm. what's what's interesting is that, like that you see people post about their relationships i used to see like my friends post about their relationships like oh i love him like oh uh, and then like they would be the same people coming to me texting me at, like 3 a.m. like why doesn't he do this and blah, blah 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 and I'm like that just shows how fake social media is and yeah that's true but like I think of social media as like a photo album that you happen to publicize like mm. my parents photo albums don't have pictures of my grandma on her deathbed mm-hmm. right they have pictures of her celebrating birthdays and stuff it just happened i think that it is it can be unhealthy to to seek validation from Instagram and stuff like that, um, and I think it t- it takes introspection to to realize when or if you you're finding that validation from social media. But I think that even in, even without social media in the conversation, I don't think it's I don't think it's unnatural to f- to to want validation from other people. I think that's uh, part of the human experience. Um, otherwise we would be asocial creatures. Mm. I I feel that I feel that there needs to be the right balance. Yeah, definitely. Like you can post about your relationship or you know if let's say someone got married and you know they want to post their pictures or uh, their selfie with their husband or wife, that's fine. But then posting about you know posting those pictures every single day, I think that's an issue because if you love someone you love that person and you don't need to show that on social media you don't want your followers people who just who barely know you but just end up following you because you know Mm -hmm. you post all of these nice beautiful pictures you don't want everyone to know about what's what's happening like if you love someone express it to them because I think love for, for me at least it's a very personal feeling and I wouldn't like to publicize that you know every single day or every week I feel that it's it's better to express those feelings to someone in a private space than talking about it and showing it off to like a millions of people to thousands of people or even millions of people I think there's there's also a difference between like like having to have a picture on your camera roll that you want to share of like you and your significant other or rather or like versus taking a picture of you and your significant other for the purpose of of posting it what's wrong with that okay so i was actually listening to this ted talk about um taking pictures for the sake 
of posting it, and they found that you don't get the same dopamine re dopamine release that you do when you take pictures for the take for the sake of taking a picture. So it's wait, not wait, healthy. What's the first scenario? First scenario, you the first scenario, you take a picture just to post it, right? Like, okay. I go to the Grand Canyon, I take a picture just because I want people to see that I was at the Grand Canyon. Okay. Versus, I go to the Grand Canyon, I find it beautiful, I take a picture, uh. and then later that night, I'm like, oh, maybe I should post this, I'll share this with the world. Okay. It's different. It's very different. Yeah. See, for me, social media is not relevant to the conversation of relationships because mm -hmm. I'm very inactive on social media. So it's not even, it's not even, like, relationships and social media do not intersect for me. Right, the validation that you get from a person is not linked at all to social media. Okay, um, and I think that uh, for someone who, look, I don't. I, I think it's a case-to-case -case basis. Like someone, like you, for you, you find it off-putting for someone to blast their relationship on social media, and you and you you think that it displays some sort of like insecurity about their relationship. But but I don't think that's the default. I think that. Obviously, we're assuming that people are emotionally like mature and that they are self-aware to, 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 to a certain extent. Um, so I think that would require the person to do, or that couple to do some evaluation and introspection. But like, from just like, just the idea of validation, I think that to be with someone and to be in their company and to have them want you uh, to be in their presence is is validating, and I think that that's the main issue we're trying to discuss mm -hmm. more than social media. Okay, fair enough. You were saying something in response. Yeah, um, I wouldn't judge someone if they, you know, if they post their pictures on social media because I think as adults, like you know, uh, you know what you want, and you're taking that responsibility. But then when I hear that. Some of my friends, um, or some of the people that I know, you know, they're they're vloggers, and you know, it's it's part of their profession, and they post their pictures, or you know, their pictures with their significant other, or their husband, on social media, and then they complain that you know, I'm getting all of these negative comments, and I'm getting this backlash for doing all of this. But then my answer to them is that it was your choice; you choose to be you choose to do this so you might as well accept the consequences and i think that directly relates to our topic of relationships accepting responsibility you know um keeping your ego aside and taking responsibility of your actions and i think it's valid in every situation that you need if 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 you as an adult if you choose to do something you need to be aware of the consequences and you need to accept those as well okay fair enough so <clears throat> so we'll we'll have to have more social media discussions later on but a central point you're making is is about the validation that comes from relationships uh when people on campus are seeking relationships or companionship or what have you can you think of any other reasons why people are pursuing so one we gave was companionship Another is also some sort of sexual fulfillment, sexual gratification, which we didn't talk about as much, which we'll save for a different time, inshallah. Um, another is validation. Can you think of other uh, yeah. possible reasons? It might not be for validation, like seeking it actively, but to avoid loneliness. Mm -hmm. um, as like a defense, defense mechanism or a defense technique, defensive technique. I, th I think mm -hmm. a lot of people are uncomfortable with being alone, mm -hmm. which is interesting. Because? 
because you're never truly uh, like when you're like with people that's at least for me I feel like it's not who you are because you're you're putting on this this facade that you're projecting to the world like if okay so say I had said all this thought all these thoughts that I've had here I was just thinking them in my head that's me but because I'm here and I'm articulating these thoughts they automatically come out differently than what I was thinking in my head just because the sake of people being there so like being alone I feel is when I'm most myself but it's hard being alone sometimes mm-hmm. um, I think there's nothing wrong with being with people but again you shouldn't depend on them to an extent that you can't stay alone that's dangerous mm-hmm. um it's a huge problem and i have been at a situ at this kind of situation before uh, it was actually um last year um or like two years ago when uh, i came to loyola and i was just so you know i just wanted to get involved um uh in MSA I wanted to make friends I wanted to talk to people and I would end up doing things uh to to satisfy them you know uh I would end up compromising with with what I believe in just to be in someone's good books and I wasn't planning to reveal this but I just did so that's fine but um it was a huge issue and I even came to you and you know, I spoke about it and I was like uh I just can't be by myself i get all of these depressing thoughts and uh it was a real it was a big issue until that summer i decided that i will um be without my phone without social media um won't talk to a lot of people unless i have to for one month and then i'll see how things go and uh, thankfully everything worked out i am now fine you know if if i have to go by myself to get a meal i'm okay with that i'm okay with being with myself i do like i enjoy pe- other people's company but i wouldn't be with someone just for the sake of it or you know i wouldn't uh be dependent on the other person because i think it's it's dangerous because people again people come they leave it's it's part of life and i think a lot of youngsters um uh and i i could relate to this they 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 don't want to be alone and they want they fear that you know after they graduate they won't they won't they, they will not find someone to be with you know they'll be alone for their whole life or maybe that's extreme thing to say but when they actually see other people in relationships automatically they wish that oh i wish i could be with someone else but then you don't know the other person's situation you don't know their relationship so how can you like make you know h- how can you think that way but i think it's totally normal to feel that way mm-hmm. thoughts so so thank you for sharing about about your own journey and such with uh with loneliness uh i do think loneliness for a person is debilitating it uh it's uh, a very very painful feeling to the point that some people are even regarding it as a modern epidemic 
this uh, isolation that we have and think of, try to even think about what the feeling of loneliness is, this feeling of, <clears throat> of separation from, from everyone else. It may include FOMO, right, a fear of missing out. Uh, it may include the, the lack of, of the feeling of uh, validation, but at its core, it is a type of pain where you might only be looking for just some simple human contact. I think something I took for granted, so I'm an identical twin, and having my sister growing up, even if we were alone, we were alone together, and then coming to college, it was a big shock because I didn't have her, like if I wanted to go out to eat, she would usually be there, and we would just go eat, but going to eat by myself was like, it was difficult in a way that I didn't think it would be, because... I just didn't have someone there. Even if I hated her guts at times, she was there, you know? And I feel like just having a person there, that's why a lot of people don't break up with like their significant other, even if there's a lot of problems, is because they just want someone there for them. Yeah, they absolutely. fear that they wouldn't, they fear that they wouldn't find someone else. And it's, it's okay to be scared, but I think it's even, it's even worse that it's, it's worse if you are in it in an abusive relationship, whether it's physical or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, emotional uh, abusive relationship, because it is very toxic and it destroys, like it destroys everything. You you also have to think about the future, like when you'll have kids and they'll see such emotional and physic physical abuse in, in some cases, what would they think about that relationship? You know, what, how, how, what they would learn from it. It wouldn't be something great you know they'll develop this fear that oh, all relationships are like that when they're not so I feel that uh, it is better to leave and walk out from such situation for yourself and for the other people around you than sticking to this one person just because you feel that oh you'll be alone um, for your whole life I mean First, you won't be alone, and even if you will be, there's nothing wrong in being alone. I think there is something wrong with being alone. What is that? <laughs> You're, you can't be alone for your whole life. Like, that's, that's just uh, internal toxicity waiting to happen. Explain. Yes, please. Um, mm -hmm. I think that... Okay, so you're going through this journey of like self-validation and um, finding your own worth and stuff. And I think that's necessary for every person to do, regardless of if they're in a relationship, not in a relationship, seeking, not seeking. Um, but I think if you, if you anticipate being alone for years on end, I think that's... Um, I don't know. I don't know what the word is. I think it's just very like sad to, to like anticipate yeah. that loneliness. To to like to to see in your future no interpersonal relationships that give you validation. No, I I get your point, and I'm not saying that you know it is okay to be alone. But what, what the point that I'm trying to make is that not walking out of an abusive relationship just because you think you'll mm -hmm. be alone that is wrong because it is still better to be alone and you know to be isolated than being in 
in an abusive relationship that would one day it would kill you you know it, it would kill your dreams your aspirations everything it would one day it would end up destroying you like yeah. what's the point of being in a relationship that's really not th- th- that's really destroying you that's true but like coming back to like the main topic what about a normal healthy relationship with emotional commitment um and we're talking about on a college campus i think that's like we're presenting scenarios where the emotional validation you get from another person is unhealthy like social media or uh, physical or mental abuse but what about just like a normal relationship i think we we haven't answered that question yet and well we have we 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 have the right the right the the tr- the, 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 the normative answer but which is which is uh uh, don't confess your feelings and um, go through the appropriate avenues when when you're ready. Um, but how do you how do you deal with or how do you find validation in yourself? I guess until you can find validation from someone else. Mm-hmm. I mean that will be uh, a whole topic on its own, just because it is so common. Uh, among college Muslims, but she showed you were going to say something. Yeah, I mean, on one hand, you're saying that uh, there is nothing wrong with you know seeking validation from other people, which I completely agree with. Then, what is the problem in confessing to the person if you have feelings for them? I mean, I, I know we did mention that it can serve as a major distraction, but then if your feelings for the other person are so strong that you know, even if you don't confess and you're in that middle edge where you don't know what to do about it, you're still getting distracted, you know? So, like, what is wrong with going ahead and saying what you, uh, saying how you feel, basically? If, if, if there's nothing wrong with seeking validation from other people, then confess. What's wrong? What's wrong? I mean, I, I have my answer. What do you think? <laughs> I have your answer, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Any thoughts? Nah. <laughs> okay, so, so the reason why, why I'm cautioning against it is when you have two undergrads in what is the common scenario for, for campus Muslims, and uh, I'm, <coughs> I'm making some assumptions about the fact that these campus Muslims will probably not be uh, involved in a dating practice and such. If they're involved in dating, that's going to be something completely different. But the point being <coughs> that if they're undergrads, then they're probably in college with the with the directive that they also have to go to advanced studies. And at Loyola, it means Good. med school, right? So, <laughs> so what will happen is that if a first year uh, um, or a second year and probably a third year student is told by someone else, I have feelings for you. Uh, more than likely that person, uh, uh, if they're being honest, will be, will be saying, <clears throat> I can't do anything about it because uh, my parents won't support it. Now, if, uh, if there is the hope that something uh, can happen, then, I, then my suggested approach is before talking to the person is that you talk to your own parents to see if your own parents will support it. If your own parents will support it, then they can also guide in what to do. Either your parents contact their parents or your parents tell you, all right, do X, Y, Z. If your parents won't support it, 
and you tell this person, okay, I have feelings for you, and let's say they say, yes, I have feelings for you too, then what do you do? Then you, I mean, if I was in this situation, mm -hmm. um, I would, and I have feelings for the other person, I would wait till I graduate. So and you'll wait till you graduate to tell them? Not to tell them, but to do something about it. Okay, but what about when you tell? When do you tell them? Do you tell them right now? Like the the person that I like. Yeah. Or so my let's say, let's say you like uh, what's what's uh, give me some some random name. Johnny. Johnny. Okay. J A A N I. Johnny. Johnny Berta. Okay. So let's say let's say Shisha over here, you are smitten with feelings for for Johnny Berta. We'll call him. J C B Johnny Cool Berta, okay, and so uh, and you're right now a junior. Let's say Johnny Cool Berta is also a junior, and and would you tell Johnny Johnny Cool Berta here in February, March 2020? Yes, I have feelings for you, okay. And we're gonna add whatever your personal family situation is like, hypothetical Shisha situation is. Her parents are never going to go for it because she is is a hydro and he's Punjabi or they're basically of two different parts of the world. You know, she is South Asian, he's Arab, whatever the case may be. And and then I mean I can even add a racial component. Let's say yeah, yeah, yeah. let's say Shisha is is Pakistani and Johnny Kulberta is African American Muslim. And, 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 and so Shisha's parents, there's no way, hypothetically, they're going to go for it. Does Shisha tell Johnny Kulberta? Well, it depends on how strong my feelings are for Let's say they're so Johnny. strong that Shisha can't stop thinking about him, and it's almost affecting her studies. So she's in class. And all that's in her mind is Johnny Colbert. No, no, so not the it's studies. Question. Yeah. So it's affecting my studies anyway, whether okay. I tell him or not. Okay. So it might as well. I just tell him and then see what happens after and, that. And so let's say he says, I am interested uh, as well, but you got to talk to your parents. Then what happens? See, that's a very difficult situation. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's change it. So let's say he says, uh, thank you, I'm flattered, but I have to focus on studies. Then I take that okay. as an answer and I, I okay. try to move on. I would maintain that distance from him okay. because I feel that um, I, I agree with the fact that if you are constantly with the person that you like, your feelings will get stronger. Okay. Uh, so maintaining that distance and again, the question of having self-control is very important whether the other person likes you or not. Okay. I think no relationship, um, uh, whether it's marriage or any other kind of relationship or friendship is without trials and problems and challenges okay. like there is nothing is perfect. So if you really like that person, if you have feelings for that person, then you would have to fight for it not going to use the word rebe rebellion because i feel that's not right okay. but i feel like if you have if you see that future with the other person then it is your responsibility to stick with that person to stand by them uh, in uh, their happiness and their sadness so yeah. you if, if you have feelings then accept that ownership and that responsibility even if you decide not to do anything about it till like 
later, till you graduate or till you uh, complete your med school or whatever. Okay, so let's let's give a third scenario. So so that was a, that was a nice complex answer, good answer. So now third scenario, he says, uh, I'm willing to consider this, but you have to talk to your parents first. And let's say you talk to your parents, Shisha talks to her parents, and Shisha's parents say, no way. Uh, not until you finish your studies, and definitely not him, because he's African-American. But you have these super strong feelings for him. Then what happens? Um, see, that again brings me, brings us back to the point that our parents are our parents, and they don't want, you know, they don't want, they don't wish anything bad on us. Okay. They want the best from us. They, Ideally. Huh? Ideally. Ideally, okay. They... I mean, they want the best for us, and they, at least that's their intention. I don't think any parent would have the intention of destroying their kid's life. Uh, But yeah, uh, the society comes in, and I think that's why uh, many, many families, many parents feel that, oh, if we go ahead with this, what would the society say? But I think you need to it's a very difficult situation to be in and i really hope that i will never be in this situation inshallah inshallah inshallah. (laughs) but i just feel that you need to communicate like you need to show your parents that um i get your point i understand where you're coming from but i really have feelings for this person and i really want to do something about it i'm okay waiting till i graduate because i get your point it's a two-way thing like Mm -hmm. you need to respect their their feelings and what they're saying but then you also want them to listen to you so that's fine but then i think um you you should talk to them and you should show them that okay i know what i'm getting into and i'm capable of handling this responsibility Mm -hmm. And and so let's say, uh, let's say they still say no, no chance. Does that mean that Shisha continues with a secret relationship with Johnny Coolberta? And Shisha's keeping it otherwise completely halal and everything, but she's keeping it a secret from her parents. What do you think? See, I think then then that's a very extreme case, and that is wrong because for me personally no one is above my parents and no one ever should be what your parents do for you you can never pay them back you can never no matter what you do no matter what you give them you can never ever give you no matter what you do you can you cannot even do half of what they do for you and if my parents are you know they're supporting me in my education they're uh, constantly with me they're wishing the best future for me then i should also understand where they're coming from um yeah it's a difficult situation mm-hmm. unfortunately and i hate to say this i don't have an answer to this question i think it's a very difficult situation to mm-hmm. be in but in such case i wouldn't i would definitely not continue a secret relationship with what's the guy johnny johnny i wouldn't because i think it's unethical and it's it's wrong you shouldn't do it uh but i would try to make the efforts of showing my parents that johnny is possibly the right person for Mm -hmm. me but this is this is uh uh, i appreciate these these answers you've given and but you also you also illustrate why i'm saying go to the parents um um, if they are supportive alhamdulillah right um, if they're not supportive 
then the result is either you find the strength to to cut off uh, the potential relationship or you're going to be going into a secret uh, a relationship that everyone except for your parents might be might be familiar with but what's the point what's the point of going in that secret relationship well, for, well, for how long can you hide you yeah. can't it's impossible you don't have to hide either you can just like disengage from your parents too like that's a third option mm -hmm. but so disengaging from the parents is definitely an option that in my role as chaplain, um, I would not be supporting, right? Now, nevertheless, all of you uh, are grown adults making your own choices and such, but this is the advice that I give if people are coming to me for advice, that, uh, that, uh, that keep things as close as possible with the parents. And at a different time, we will have to talk about, about um, what is the word, about tyrannical parents, because we also have many examples of that where the parents are steamrolling, they're forcing their kids into uh, uh, a relationship, into a marriage, completely against their will, and sometimes being completely blind about some of the behaviors of the person that they're choosing for for their child. And, and uh, me as chaplain, I'm still gonna say you have to talk to and face up to your parents. I can't make your decision for you. If they're asking me as a friend, uh, then I might give a very different answer. But me and my position as chaplain, uh, one of my self-imposed directives is to try to keep family together as much as possible, especially the parent-child relationship. It goes yes. back to the... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so... Um, one thing, if well, not me, of course not me, but if uh, if Shisha is in such situation and you know her parents are totally against this her relationship with Johnny and she really wants Johnny, I think in that situation it might be wise to involve another adult, like a family member or mm -hmm. like a teacher, like you perhaps, to come forward and you know give your side to the situation because sometimes that is needed mm -hmm. to see things in a better way, in a clearer way. Yeah, I mean, related to that, I have been uh, pulled in quite a few times <coughs> when uh, the case is most commonly the, the, the woman is South Asian or Arab and she's interested in a person who's usually a convert and he has nobody speaking for him. And there have been quite a few times where the convert has come and asked me to, to, to speak on his behalf, and, and I've done that. And so far, those people are all still married, alhamdulillah. But, but yeah, then, I mean, well, we'll, well uh, that's a little bit outside, again, of the, of the, uh, the context here. But, yeah, in some cases, if the parents can't be convinced, then I, then I ask, the offspring of uh, to to see if they can find someone else that the parents do listen to, and see if they can try some 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 other approach, or ultimately it becomes a battle of wills, the parent versus the child, Which and is not the ideal situation. Not the ideal situation, and sometimes the parents will eventually give in to what the child is seeking. Sometimes the child will give in to what the parents are seeking, and uh, and here I've seen it all. Uh, you were saying something. This all goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning, the rahim, the mm -hmm. womb, right? We can't sever those relationships with our parents mm -hmm. for this person that we probably don't know very well, mm -hmm. you know? And if they are refusing our marriage with this person because of something superficial like race 
or something that has nothing to do with actual legitimate reasons, then in that case, talk to your parents mm -hmm. and try to try to get them to understand. Because ultimately, when you leave this earth, it's not going to be you're not going to be there with anyone, right? You're going to be alone, mm -hmm. and to betray the the trust of your parents for this person it won't grant you benefit because you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that if we sever ties with our family then he'll sever ties with us mm -hmm. yeah uh, in principle uh, I'm agreeing wholeheartedly uh, and back to the issue of tyrannical parents I have seen many many cases of, of parents writing off someone who is a fantastic upright person uh, uh, to the point, I mean, one example is uh, uh, a man who wanted to marry this woman. She's a convert and um, the parents, the fact that he suggested it, the converts immediately uh, disowned him. And now they have children and the parents have not even uh, uh, refused to even see their grandchildren. And, and so, uh, at a later discussion, um, I'll have to compile more material to discuss it, though. Uh, we do have to have a discussion about tyrannical parents or uh, the rights of the child over the parents. We have a whole lot of conversation in our community of the rights of the parent over the child. Um, but that is all, and that is all sound, obviously, but that is also given uh, permission for the parents to turn into tyrants. But in core, I agree with your, 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 your point, which is that you know, do not break the ties with your parents. Do not sever those ties and do whatever it takes to maintain those. And even uh, when people have asked me to do marriages that the parents don't approve of, uh, I tell them I'm not going to do it unless you get the parents on board. And I can help, but if the parents are not going to come on board, I'm not going to do the marriage, right? This if, it, if it's a first-time marriage. If it's a second-time marriage for, 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 for both of them, then the situation changes quite a bit. Um, but that'll be discussion for another time. Any reflection? So what is the role of emotions or passion in Islam? Well, I mean, <clears throat> I mean, so if we define uh, passions uh, in the negative, then we're talking about your base yourself, your nafs al-amara, then it's negative. If we uh, speak of the nafs as something that is not inherently bad, then your passions are not inherently bad. Rather, there's something to keep in control. Yeah. And, and so uh, a way to think about that is one of your passions is for food. If you did not have it, then you're going to die. Right? We've discussed this in the Vazali class. And, and so uh, your, pass, your, your, your passion for human contact, physical human touch, is a, is a real thing that is by default healthy, except if it's gone too far. Are these passions or are these needs? So I'm using, I'm basically, uh, I don't like the, the terms at all, whether we use passions or needs or such, um, but I would say passions are not necessarily different than, than needs. Meaning, uh, as an adult, will you die if nobody touches you? No, probably not. As a baby, will you die if nobody touches you? Probably, right? There's that legendary case of, was it like King Frederick or something, uh, who wanted to see if, uh, how long a baby, like these babies can go without human contact and then they all died very, very quickly. And that could be just a legend. What if, what about like, okay, this is, this might be a tangent, but like yeah. 
if a baby was fed by a robot, they would have severe attachment issues. Potentially, I mean, uh, I'm sure that is going to be an experiment. There, there, there was a case with with the monkeys that they did. Yeah. What's the What's the case? Basically, they gave these monkeys like some other. Or some of the monkeys were like with their mothers, uh-huh. and some of them were given like this carpet, like figure that had a bottle that wasn't its mother, but still fed it. Uh-huh. And they found that the monkeys that didn't have its actual mother. They were. They became like sick, and they had a lot of other issues. Yeah, I believe that. I believe that would apply very well to humans as well. Uh, if we're talking about adults, uh, whatever level of emotional health, uh, uh, are you going to die without, uh, you know, physical contact? I don't think so. Uh, will you potentially be healthier and happier with some sort of regular physical contact? I believe so. Right. Uh, but you know um, whether we could use the word need, emotion, passion. Um, that's I'm more leaving up to you to define. You know. Okay, what is the role of emotional exigencies? Okay, you're gonna have to give me a definition for <laughs> emotional exigency. What is? What do you mean by this? I used the word exigency in my first essay on with you. Okay, which was two years ago, and um, should we talk about that class? And we keep going. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, like a emotional urgency or impulse um, in general. Okay, uh, give me an example. Butterflies in your stomach. Okay, so what is the role of that? Yeah. I mean, I think that seems like nervousness or an adrenaline together. So that could be a survival instinct. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know where you're leading. So... Do you ignore that? Do you, you 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 suppress it until you're 25, basically, in terms of in the context of romantic relationships? Um, I've, I'm missing the connection here. Is okay, you meet someone. Yeah. Um, and your heart races, your heart flutters. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And um, you feel an emotional exigency to pursue them. Okay, so you feel butterflies in your stomach. Yes. Okay. Do you, do you suppress that until you're in a position where you can practically get married with your parents' consent. Okay, so ideal case scenario is you talk to the parents and say, uh, you know, I want to get to know this person. And perhaps by then, you've already had some conversations that your parents have initiated. That's an ideal case scenario. And then, and so the, the point is that whatever age you're at, you would then consider whatever the next steps are along with your parents. So less than ideal case situation would be that this is the first time you're introducing this topic with your parents. So you have, so let's say in, in Sage's case, you know, he, he meets a woman and what we call her, we'll call her John, uh, no, Jennifer, Jennifer, Jennifer Coolbeti. Okay. (laughs) Jennifer Coolbeti. Okay. I don't want, Jennifer, please not Jennifer. Give me a name. Sajida. Sajida. Oh, God. So, Sajida. Sajida is... So, Sage has fallen in love with Sajida. This is the first time, you know, he's ever experienced these butterflies in his stomach. 
And now he goes to Muzaffar and says, what should I do? And Muzaffar says, all right, go talk to your parents. And now he has even bigger butterflies in his stomach because he has to introduce <laughs> his love for Sajida to his parents. Okay. So give me a scenario in your, in your vision. How do Sage's uh, parents respond? <laughs> um, uh, they they say uh, get stabilize your career okay um, and then we'll talk about it okay so that I believe would be the most common response mm-hmm. among the peers of you three here right and and so then your question to me is that then do you just shut it down? And so I would say if you want it that badly, then you keep pushing your parents. This is the same situation as basically yeah that, but minus the racism. Yeah, and so so let's say let's say you uh, let's say Sajida is from the exact same village <laughs> in, overseas. She's not. She's from Turkey. She's from Turkey. Okay, so she's not from the same village. Uh, what about social economics? Same level. Yeah. Okay, and and so so the parents um, are accepting that Sajida is Turkish, even though Sage is not. But they're saying focus on the career, and then and then Sage comes back to me and says, "What do I do?" And then I tell Sage, "Well, if you want this, then push your parents some more and keep pushing your parents." And then it becomes like we were mentioning before the battle of wills, and and so either at some point your parents will relent and go your way, or at some point you will relent and go your parents' way. What if rationally they're right? Okay, keep going. Do you like rationally they might be right? They might be right that you should prioritize your career and stabilize your life in order to have a stable family home. Mm. Um, and then it's a conflict between yourself. Do I do the rational thing or do I do the emotionally mm-hmm. exigent thing? So if that's the choice, then I choose the rational. Because it will not be uncommon for me to tell the person, I don't think you're ready for marriage. And if they're, if they're ready to hear me give frank analysis, and all three of you know that I'm more than happy to give frank, blunt analysis, then I'll say, I don't think you're ready until you do this this, this, and this, right? You know, focus on this aspect, get this straightened out in your life, get this straightened out in your life, get this straightened out in your life. Then you might be in a position to think about it. And and so in that type of scenario, then I would say, um, you know, let the butterflies fly around, but uh, uh, focus on getting your best self together a bit. But then it also depends on what kind of person is she. So let's let's assume that she is already her best self and that is why Sajida or Sage is in love with Sajida, right? But it also has been the case where the Sage character might be somewhat okay or in the proximity of perhaps talking about marriage but I also know the Sajida and I'd say, I'm not going to tell you why, but not her because I'll know things about her that she's not ready for in terms of she's not ready to get married. Okay. So it might be that the guy has his act together, but the girl does not. See what I'm saying? Yeah. Cool. And so usually uh, I won't reveal other people's private matters you know, to the person who's interested. Um, 
And, and sometimes it's also the case where someone is expressing interest and there might be a sibling that we can approach, like Sajida's sibling. Let's say Sajida has a brother and then I might pull in the brother and say, okay, I have someone who might be interested in your sister. What are your parents looking for and this and that? And that might give us some other insights and such. So yeah, but again, what is the overall principle? The overall principle is that is that everyone conducts themselves with as much maturity and dignity as possible knowing the difficulties of loneliness, knowing the difficulties of longing, of needing validation and such, that you don't want to go from an unhealthy situation and make a potential good situation unhealthy, right? Uh, or you don't want to go from a healthy situation into an unhealthy situation. And so as a default, that usually means keep your already established family relations together as tight as possible and then move from there. But there are exceptions to everything. Any other last thoughts? No time isn't. It is. We've been going for over two hours, mashallah. So we will stop right here. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika nashadu la ilaha illa anta nastafiruka natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika nashadu la ilaha illa anta nastafiruka natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma, glory to you, O Allah. Wa bihamdika, praise and gratitude are to you. Nashadu la ilaha illa anta. We bear witness that there is no God but you. Nastafiruka, we seek your forgiveness. Wa natubu ilayk. And we turn to you. Wa akhiru da'wana an alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. All right. Uh, very good to each and every one of you. We started out a little bit slowly, which is to be expected, but I think this is a very, very good episode, inshallah. Signing off.